0: Excited to talk to you today. Um,
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> thank
0: you for coming on this uh, untitled show.
1: Yeah, of course.
0: <laughs> uh, we'll start off by asking you uh, about your life story. what What's mm-hmm. your life story, man? Give us some background.
1: Life story. I grew up. I was born in Pasadena, California.
0: Oh.
1: I'm, I'm telling this to Sean.
0: No, this is, this is like for the whole world, you know. We'll probably have thousands of listeners.
1: Oh, of course. Okay. <laughs> so I was born in Pasadena. I lived in Pasadena until I was uh, four and then moved. Pasadena is in Southern California, by the way, <laughs> outside of Los Angeles. Um, I, don't, I don't remember much from then. I remember preschool. I went to preschool and I remember some twins, and I remember my Spider-Man light-up shoes. Okay, that's pretty good. Those are those are one of the few things I remember. And I remember making a volcano with foam coming out of it. Preschool? Yeah. Wow. Impressive. <laughs> so here and there, here and there, there's some things I remember. And then moved to Glendale, California. There goes the bus. Oh, all right. <laughs> and then... Uh, what did I do in Glendale, California? I went to school. Uh, Had a childhood that is fairly inconsequential. <laughs> it just played video games. Uh, Did the normal childhood things. Let's see. Anything? I don't know. I honestly... This is hard talking... I don't remember... I talk about this a lot with my partner. I don't remember my childhood very much. And... I don't think anyone does. Like, do they really remember? Or, um, so I'm not sure about that. But it's kind of a blur of memory. I know what it is. I remember it. But I I can't prime myself. Ah. You know, like, I feel like memory, it's all in there. You just need primers, you know? And I can't, I don't have that spark of, like, a couple things I remember that makes it all come flooding back.
0: Is that what like Um, pictures are for? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Like I didn't really realize until recently the functionality of pictures. Like besides like for aesthetic purposes. But they actually play like a very they're like extremely useful for priming memories. Um so that was a bit of an epiphany recently, which probably I guess most people who take family pictures have already had that epiphany. But I finally finally got on to that. Yeah. Um, huh. Okay. Well, that's, that's kind of a tangent from my life story. That's my explanation for having a bad life story. <laughs> and then I... Uh, so I wasn't good at uh, taking pictures mentally, so... <laughs> We moved on. I remember playing Mario sixty four, playing t- I played a lot of video games. I played a lot of video games. That was a lot of my childhood. Um, I was fairly quiet. I remember. I was called sensitive sometimes. I remember. I was that was a a phrase to describe me. And then no, I mean, uh, self
0: self applied phrase or externally applied phrase.
1: It was usually external, okay. you know, because usually I'd be oh. Like I remember, one time I dressed up as Batman, um, on Halloween, and then the Batman costume had really big pecs, as 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 they do, and I remember, everyone said I had boobs, and I was mortified as a six year old or an eight year old, and I was oh, crying was and crying, and I'm like, I don't have boobs. They're big, awesome meaty pecs (laughs) and uh they denied it and so i came home and i was like what do i do this is awful and what do the parents say mom and dad are like you know you're a sensitive person you know and that's all right and i also had another epiphany recently and i've always because it was externally applied to when i like freaked out or something and when i shouldn't have I've always thought it had a negative connotation, like, oh, someone's sensitive. Mm. But then if you think of the word sensitive, it's like, ah, oh, you, your your senses are, like, tuned up a little bit. You know, you have a little... Your sensors are more uh, sensitive.
0: <laughs> more effective. <laughs>
1: yeah, so, like, except they get overwhelmed more easily, so I realize it is a double-edged sword. Mm. But I used to give that term a more negative uh connotation but I, I see it as neutral now so i think sensitive was a good word to use
0: oh interesting oh, you can um, even have a positive connotation um well yeah the connotation is probably negative but it seems like you're right i think it should be positive
1: yeah you just you need to be careful what environment you place yourself in mm-hmm. you know like if you have some really sensitive microphones or camera maybe you have a really sensitive camera um it does great for filming bats at night or moles but you know if you're trying to film a creature in the light a lot like uh i don't know a vulture (laughs) and then then uh I don't know what I was talking about. <laughs> then it's not a good instrument. Your sensitivity, you're overwhelmed.
0: It's tough to be a
1: bat camera in a vulture
0: world, man.
1: <laughs> exactly. Um. Okay, that was my. <laughs> Moving on. So that was my uh, elementary school days. I know I was I was a sensitive child, and then going into middle school, that's when my uh video game world really ramped up i played a lot of counter-strike with my buddy leo Liu, who by the way is the valedictorian of our high school so i wasn't doing nothing and now he also is a roblox developer i saw on linkedin so he's going somewhere um And yeah, I played a lot of video games. And then I had, in high school, I had a big, uh, like, drug phase and lashing out at my parents for no particular reason type of phase. And then that happened. And then I almost, well, I almost died doing one of the things I did um, while being a lashing out teenager. But then that really hit my mind in a certain way. And then I kind of feel like I kind of, here, it will come back around. I, I told, I said, I felt a bit dissociated from my childhood after I almost died while being a stupid teenager, I birthed out of my head and then I felt like I became like a new person. And it felt like my mind had this like really big shift, you know, that happens with near death experiences. Wow. Um, and that's when I became more of a... I think all of my childhood, I took everything in pretty passively. And I was just a generally passive person. And I think it taught me that there's like... Like, try to be active, you know? Like, like have goals. Like, I didn't really have goals or anything. I just kind of did things and let it all kind of go by. And having, like, a experience like that kind of made me feel like i have autonomy and like i could have ideas at the time it was like very art oriented like i want to make music and stuff but now it's kind of spread into all different types of things but um that was probably the most influential part of my childhood um because now i feel i feel like i would have been a much different person if that didn't happen let's just say while the other childhood stuff is like uh eh, Doing kid stuff.
0: (laughs) Interesting. Um, Yeah, what? Now I'm here. What? One of the lessons I've taken out of the, I think your interview number uh, eight or so, um, Uh or your number nine. Um, One of the lessons I've really taken out of the the first eight is the like childhood adversity, um, or just adversity in general, can really turn people into like who they want to become. Um, it seems Mm -hmm. like this Mm -hmm. negative event in your life really had positive consequences.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Uh, That's interesting that, is that, was that consistent?
0: Pretty consistent. Yeah. Um, and with like the, the older generation, um, a lot of that is kind of baked in, you know, they, they had hard lives, um, as, as children. Um, and you know, going back, the farther you go back in time, probably the more that becomes true um our generation you know you 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 kind of put this adversity on yourself in a way right it's not Mm -hmm. like it wasn't baked in um i i haven't really gone through any kind of notable adversity like that um yeah and i think going forward especially for you know western rich democratic societies here um that adversity it's it's not a given um and I, yeah. I wonder, what do, what do you think that's going to mean for future generations?
1: That's interesting. Yeah, because that makes it. I guess that's why we're, like, the heir of mental health. Right. Because the interest... It's weird because I think what this sheds light on is that, um, like, humans, like derive meaning from adversity and like derive like largely like what makes you feel good as a person and what makes you feel like you've accomplished things in life seems to be like adversity and like taking that away like physically is like an obvious good to do Mm -hmm. you know like less people or like better health and like people have more ubiquitous food etc like that like that's like an obvious good but there is like because we're starting to do that we seem to have to like we have to think about like more trans like what is that whole hierarchy of needs Maslow's hierarchy of needs Yeah Maslow's it's like it's like we're we're kind of getting better at like making home base not the very bottom but like up a layer or two Mm -hmm. and like we we're starting to realize that we like have not thought about these other layers like at all because we've been so focused on these lower ones so like people are like although they're up here which is better they're still like floundering you know because it's a totally new space and like not well explored by humans and then also I think that we have a lot, of, I feel like also we're a generation that has quickly destroyed religion. Mm. And I think that's another issue because that gave people transcendental meaning and like meaning outside of themselves and gave them purpose. And we've kind of also stripped away that, uh, like we've stripped away that, kind of like track like it gives you a moral track of like here's like how you live a good life and we've been stripped away from it and not only stripped away from it like a lot of the generation that i at least people i speak with like speak with like all religion is like like a hostility towards all of it right and it's it's weird to me because i well i was that i was like super like atheist and like religion's dumb type of thing Um, but it's, it's weird because I think it's like humans have been doing religion since they existed. And it just seems weird for me to like a generation to like completely disregard it and think that there was absolutely no functionality to it. Like I've always, it seems like there's like this implied, like it doesn't even have a function. Like we're just throwing it away. And I'm starting to realize that it it was a system in place that actually helped those higher levels on the pyramid of, like, the hierarchy of needs. Like, it was actually, like, a way people would cope with things like that. Um, so, with a mix of that and a mix with actually not having to deal with the lower things as much, like, I feel like our generation is, like, really, like, oh, I don't know what to do. You know, it's like the generation of existential dread. Like, I don't know why I'm doing anything. I don't know what I'm doing. It's a very odd time.
0: The, the hierarchy is, it's kind of an odd metaphor to me uh, because it, it gives me the sense that you have to like fulfill level one before you can start on level two, yeah, right? Uh. But uh, I mean, low. I forget exactly what level it is, but like social interaction and fulfillment and your community is like level three or four, and that seems like even though we have level one and two covered now, we we're at an all-time low on those levels. The hierarchy like, metaphor kind of would lead you to interpret it the other way around.
1: Yeah, and it, it's interesting because I just I'll self-reflect on what I just talked about, and I realize I as hopping between the different layers, yeah, like just by talking about religion. I was saying the older generation, like, even though they didn't have one or two covered, they were still like fulfilling community and like morality and transcendentalism.
0: Right, and those with religion,
1: even though they weren't. You're right. So maybe like, maybe we shouldn't use higher. Like these are good categories, maybe. Okay. But maybe we should flatten it. I don't know. They're like it's more like a. No, I'm not gonna categorize. I was reading this book "Metaphors We Live By," and I'm like, no, <laughs> any anything that's like squishy and human is really complicated. I I will I will not put borders around it because I am wrong if I do. <laughs> I don't know. Huh? huh. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting
0: that it never really occurred to me that those have almost been like a, an exact trade-off or like anti correlated. Yeah. It seems um yeah, odd. Do you, why do you think uh this this generation is like seems like the one to start rejecting religion? As you said it's been around for thousands of years and it does it seems rather uh precipitous the drop off.
1: Yeah. Well I'm not a I'm not a a, a student of history. So I probably am botching the timeline incredibly and in stating, like, it probably has peaks and valleys, you know, all over the centuries. And we're definitely in a valley. So let's say we're not in the generation, but we're definitely not at the height of popularity in religion. Okay. Um, and I think, first of all, the most mainstream relig- religions in America especially like from the viewpoint of a Californian is um like conservative christianity and they're not doing themselves any favor if they're trying to advertise um mm. to the young people <laughs> um and i think like i think a lot of what we consider religion in the traditional sense nowadays is usually Ones that involve shame and restrictiveness and bigotry is common. Um, at least f- f- in my view of, like, when I, from the point of view of uh, the culture that I'm living in. Mm-hmm. And I think it gets like a bad rep because like, even like, even people who are into yoga or like, that's a type of religion, you know, like, I don't know what I'm saying. (laughs) I think, I think institutionalized, maybe let me rephrase. I think institutionalized, um, religion is at an all time low. And I think I'm starting to see actually like decentralized religion really starting to spread, and like, a, like by
0: like spirituality, you know, yeah,
1: like spirituality and stuff, yeah. and I think, huh, I might just be having a new insight, maybe our our uh generation isn't as atheist as I thought they were maybe it's just a more decentralized form of religion which is like spirituality and stuff like that um which makes sense considering everything is becoming very decentralized like regarding the internet like you just have these really small niche communities you know form all popping everywhere and maybe like religion is reflecting that and spirituality like like, for a gamer, is that a type of spirituality? Like, they have a certain set of beliefs within it, and they have, like, their little friend group? Because it just provides a sense of community, and maybe it helps with self-growth, hopefully. And if you have that, bada-bing, bada-boom, that's spirituality? I don't know. I don't know. It's interesting. Um,
0: yeah, what one of the one of the victims of the increasingly globalized society seems to be a loss in like a local community. Like, mm-hmm. um, I don't know about you, but I, I don't even know my neighbors, um, never yeah, even really. like said hi. Um, and that it seems like a bad thing. Um, it seems like people in the past have gotten a lot of utility out of, uh, being friends and being involved in their local community. Um, do you think there's a way we, we, bring that back or is that something that can be replicated uh, uh, online in a global society? Where's the place for local community?
1: Can't be replicated online. Not at least not yet because I don't know. I think the online social arena is like really scary because it pretends it's as helpful Mm -hmm. as like actual like physical communication and it like gives off the impression that it is um but in actuality it's like a husk like stripped of all the body language you know and like the nuances of like actual like human interaction and just like has it's like a a whisper it's like a scent of it um but it like proposes itself as like it is it, you know, like, Uh, this is humans communicating, you know, we're talking to each other, we're forming communities. So I think uh, to talk to your second part of the question, I don't think in its current stage like, the digital realm will be able to replicate that. We're not even close, I think. So I do think, like, physical, like, local communication is helpful. Like, Living in Isla Vista, I feel a bigger sense of community than I ever did at home, just because it's everyone in my same age group. And although I don't, like, talk to my neighbors as much, I did talk to them last year more. But that's because we were always arguing with each other. (laughs) But that still was a sense of community, you know? It kind of had a little flair to it. Um, And it's better than just silence. You know, just scary, stale silence. So I do think we need to bring that back. I don't know how. I think hiking, running together, forming... It could work in online communities if you have very specific like hobbyist communities I feel are a bit better where you have a niche enough goal you know like I know the open source Linux type community I know those could be pretty tight knit you know people who are really into writing I don't know schedulers or something (laughs) you know for Linux kernels and they all get together and write schedulers but I, I don't, that that area has been very confusing for me lately because I oscillate, I use Twitter a lot, okay. the worst one, the, <laughs> the grossest one, but also the most addicting. And I have this, this very oscillating relationship with it because I, you know, I, I touch base and I get information from communities that I never would have otherwise. Like my, like music, I find music and music communities and various things that I would never find without the internet. Um, But then on the other hand, if you actually try to be a part of that community and communicate with them, it just feels like there's a giant wall around everyone, you know? And when you're, when you're direct messaging someone, it just feels like you're intruding on someone's life. Or you're not talking to a real person, you know, it's kind of, they're like a facade of a person. And even, you know, it's weird. It's weird. And yeah. it doesn't feel good.
0: Oh, huh, that's interesting. I, yeah, a, a direct message, I would feel the same way. I'd feel like I'm intruding on this likely very important person's time, you know? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, like if there's a way to get, get rid of that uh, sense.
1: I don't know. But for some reason and because and the reason why we have that sense is because message boards have no nuance. Like if you saw a person you wanted to talk to in real life, you could read their body language of if it's okay to approach. They had there's all these like yeah. different data points everywhere that were like that are really complicated and really like multi-dimensional and we just kind of pick up on it and feel it um kind of like that um and you can't do that on twitter or anything Interesting. you know you, you just kind of have what the engineers give to you and we're worse at engineering than we are at language processing
0: <laughs> in, the,
1: in the biological sense <laughs> Why do you think um,
0: music affects people the way that it does? Why does it work?
1: Uh, I think it's... It carves out... It's a more basic form of communication than natural language. You think so? In terms of... Not basic, in terms of more... In terms of that, like, it supersedes natural language. But I feel it is good at expressing... Um, it's good at expressing ideas that don't fit very well and come across very well in natural language.
0: Interesting.
1: And if you're... I used to make music without words. Um, but if your music does use words, I think the music further adds like ornamentation or decoration to your words to further kind of get across those underlying, um, more emotional ideas, okay. you know, rather than just reading on a piece of paper. Interesting. I, I think that's, main reason music. Like, that's why musicians always talk in vibes and stuff, you know? It's, I want to make a a spooky vibe, you know? And when you read spooky vibe or you hear someone say spooky vibe, you're like, that's dumb. Like, sp- I don't feel scared, you know? But then, someone who's good at making, I don't know, horror movie uh, soundtracks, they play you... The track that gives across spooky vibes—you you you feel it, like you have like your senses and the vibrations of it, like fill your head with a certain atmosphere that makes it feel spooky. Um,
0: Is that is is that universal? Like, will all cultures feel spooky listening to the same music, or is that uh, I don't know why.
1: I don't, it definitely depends, you know, maybe spooky, scary music might come across universally, but more, more abstract Mm. music, like, like conceptual art music would not come across, you know, but maybe some of the more basic ones rooted in fear, rooted in your lizard brain type of music might come across.
0: So, yeah. yeah it, interesting you say that. Is I I think a lot of times if you're trying to answer a why question and it's about humans doing something you can lean on like a evolutionary biology or something and there's like a some evolutionary advantage you get from experiencing something some way. But I don't I don't find uh, at least myself that uh, you know reacting to spooky music uh, fits that trope. I mean, where where is that in evolution? There, there, there's no spooky music when you get chased by a uh a, a feral cat or
1: anything. So that's true. It is. I think though it's exploiting it's it's kind of we have let's see. We have an interface our body because of all the evolutionary stuff and all the stuff in our environment like being scared of cats and snakes implement because of that some sort of interface was implemented on our senses you know that trigger certain things to happen you know like you hear a cat growl or you hear a snake slithering or whatever or you see one and then it kicks in the fight or flight Ah! and then you run or something so it's 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 like scary but that's what it's supposed to be meant for but that interface is kind of a bit loosey-goosey so maybe we can exploit that interface and uh. kind of glom onto that interface and manipulate it even though there isn't actually any real danger there Similar to how um, liking something or you know, getting a like on a Twitter or something like that gives you dopamine. You know, even though it wasn't really meant huh. for that purpose. It's
0: like a, a hijacking of some neural pathway.
1: <laughs> yeah, maybe. That's that's a theory. Huh? And then maybe it's just also relatable because you know, there could be no. No, <laughs> never mind. That's my answer.
0: All right. <laughs> we'll stop there. Um, I think I remember a couple of years ago you were reading a uh, Gödel Escherbach. Escher yes. Um, and I've been reading that lately and just got to the part where they talk about uh, you know, how music can can be thought of as some kind of encoding of information. Um and he. Uh, Hofstetter considers whether or not non humans or aliens would, would be able to derive any mu- meaning from a uh, music if we found some mm-hmm, way for mm-hmm. them to sense it. Where what's your stand on that? Do you think um, a a stand uh, a box sonata would, would be able to deliver meaning to a non human life form?
1: Oh, hundred percent. For sure. There's repetition there. Yeah. Okay. They'll they'll see the pattern. Like there is some okay here's my assumption before i state my answer the alien will understand that the use of repetition um can like repetition can help derive meaning like patterns and like seeing things happen over and over again and seeing how people vary those patterns I'm using pattern and repetition interchangeably. Um, you could derive meaning from that. And if that assumption is true, like if a sine wave means anything to them, if, if a sine wave has any, like if they're given all sounds or all frequencies and they're able to pick out a sine wave, if that sine wave has peaks their interest in any way, or they notice anything peculiar about that, then music, they will be able to derive some sort of meaning from it. I don't know what type. Interesting.
0: Um, I, does that mean that um, a, a printed waveform of the same sonata, uh, humans would be able to derive meaning from, from examining a printed out version? using the sight sense instead of the auditory sense?
1: Well, that destroyed my whole thing. Abstractly, yes. Huh. (laughs) I think they would be able to derive some meaning. They will be able to see that was obviously made by a human. Like, here's an example. There's there's this label that makes... uh, like really heavy synth- synthesis music really really synthetic okay um, and the 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 guy who runs the label who also is the mixing and mastering engineer you know he gets it all each whoever submits the label he tweaks it up you know for release he he loves taking picture of the spectrograms of all the music that people are working on. And although I have no idea what the song sounds like, you could tell that there's some... Like, humans have had their fingers on it in some way.
0: Interesting. You know?
1: Let's see. And I think... They will not, so when looking at a picture of the spectrogram and the sine wave and all that stuff, it, they will not derive the same type of meaning you would get while listening to the music, but they will derive some sort of meaning in the same way you would derive meaning from a math equation or, um, you know, like, re- like abstractly rather than directly, kind of secondhand okay so maybe i wouldn't hope for the aliens to understand it aesthetically um or maybe directly but i think they would be able to see that it is there is some sort form of communication there's some form of language in it especially a bach piece because bach has so much internal logic within it interesting Um,
0: do you, do you think that kind of lends itself towards uh, uh, a a cardinal ordering of um or ordinal cardinal? I forget which one is which. Um, allowing you to like rank different pieces of music by their um, internal meaning. Can you say what is the most meaningful piece of music that's ever been written?
1: No, I just I I'm I'm have a very weak notion. I have a Boolean notion of that was made by a human, that wasn't made by a human. And even that might be too strong sometimes when you get into field recording and John cage type music. But the more I've made music, my notion of meaning it gets weaker and weaker. So I would, have, I would have no way to order it except by like my aesthetic preferences. but there's no point in arguing over that you know because that that's not communicable if that's a word (laughs) can't be um but yeah i i have a really weak notion of what it means to be music just and i like i do it on accident like i'm doing like i'm coding or something and all i do is i see some sort of recursive loop and i'm like oh, it's music, and it's like, no, Jack, there isn't even any audio coming out of it, and it's running at, like, it's a static web page, Jack, that's not music, (laughs) but I just see loops, I usually, looping, you know, is in music, that's what I'll give it, but literally, you can decompose any audio signal into sine waves, so literally, all of it is looping, if it's within the audio spectrum, pretty good so that's my stance on that
0: (laughs) Um, I also recently read um, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey um, and one of my favorite um, takeaways from the book was uh, his uh, recommendation to write a mission statement for your life that's kind of like a central guiding tenet that uh, you're currently abiding by Um, yeah, he would, you know, write it, write one out, and then he'd update it every month or so, scratch out some words, add a new phrase here or there. Um, if you had to come up with a mission statement for your life right now, what do you think that would look like?
1: I don't know. I'm in, I'm in a stage of my life where my brain is spread out across like a bunch of different disciplines. And I'm starting to see a bunch of patterns everywhere, but I can't connect them. So my current, my current, what is it called again? Uh, Mission statement. Mission statement. (laughs) My current (laughs) mission statement is probably like cohesion. Like I want, I want to, I want to take all my various experiences I have and be able to form a cohesive image in some way of, no, but I'm never going to be able to do that, and it's always moving.
0: Well, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Static targets are... Yeah. they they almost are completely meaningless i think and yeah. what what in life is static right so dynamic something that you're striving for uh, that seems like a reasonable uh driving force to me
1: yeah i think okay let's not go for static let's okay. i i like I've, I've enjoyed doing interdisciplinary things. I like having my fingers in a bunch of things and reading various different types of things. And I want to be able to continue doing that and continue spreading my, my net of interactions and different minds and different styles of thinking. And I want to be able to kind of create a successful feedback loop where that I could integrate that into my head And, you know, kind of create a very multifaceted mind that can jump between different layers of abstraction and different modes of thinking. So kind of a whale, I want to be able to spread and reel in so I could actually utilize the things I did while spreading that shape. I'm not going to use words. I want that, and I reel it in. And then it kind of tickles the brain. And then be, after i tickled my brain a bit, I re-update my goals. Spread that way. Go in. Tickle the brain. Out. Mission statement. I'll record a Bam. Video. <laughs> um,
0: it That It kind of makes me think about the uh, explore-exploit trade-off in reinforcement learning.
1: Um, I took a decision making class. Oh, did you? <laughs> yeah.
0: Have Have you tried applying it uh, to your life? And have you found it to be a useful framework to analyze decisions?
1: No. See, because I haven't done this very well yet. Because <laughs> I love I love taking math classes. Because I took a decision making class. It was just math as old paper, mm-hmm. and we talked about multi m multi-arm bandit problem, Uh, you know, that's a standard reinforcement learning thing. And I just love it. It just tickles my brain. I'm also taking a cryptography class right now and, like, learning about invertible functions and adversaries and kind of... It's great. I love it. But it tickles my head, but I don't know why it is helpful or how I can make it helpful to me yet. It just, like, is like my body likes it you know it's like a like like a basic feeling that I'm like I like doing this um so the explore and exploit haven't used it yet i think it's a good idea i th- I, I was actually referring to that last
0: week oh yeah I, I think it's a a helpful uh framework i guess um but uh, like you were saying i i find myself in that situation often where you like learn about something like this is super useful now i just gotta actually use it and then you don't right yeah um yeah. and i i don't know what the i how to take that that step and if it requires some just like super agency that i just need to find um or uh, i don't know have you have you ever had success being able to take something to that next level
1: um the answer is always just like, just to try it. Just start doing something, and because I I've come across ag- one of my favorite philosophical notions I've come across lately, and I talk about with my friend a lot is everything is infinitely complex, um, at least like from a he- it might as well be. We won't get into technicals here, <laughs> um, but and. That notion has really helped me to start doing things because I'm always like, Well, why should I do something? It seems like I don't see why I can make a connection. And I'm like, Well, get out a piece of paper, start thinking about that concept you want to apply, and just like start doing something. And then eventually, your brain is so obsessed with pattern matching and like connecting things together. Like, you'll eventually, like out of your noise, will like some form will come out of it eventually. And I found success. When was the most recent? I have a very tangible example. Oh, perfect. I was just
0: about to ask for an example.
1: An example, very, co- I come across it a lot in music, especially since I make more, um, I don't use like note-based systems. And the most common form, like note-based systems and maybe like beats, you know, beat type of music gives you a pretty good framework to build music in. And I've decided not to use any frameworks, so I'm left with a barren landscape, and I don't know what to do. I'm just exploring, and I never exploit, I never actually finish anything, um... And it's always because there's like too much to do. It sometimes looks like there's too much to do. It seems like just this giant overwhelming rainforest. And then at other times it looks like this barren desert, you know, and it like flip flops between those. And I don't know what to do, but I get out of that kind of headspace by, I have one second of sound, one loop. And I'm like, I love the second of loop well, let's repeat it over and over again, let's repeat that loop over and over again, let's, you know, shift it, let's pitch shift it a little bit, move it over, you know, let's do these very simple operations, like, very elementary, like, music operations on it, and then all of a sudden, like, your head, like, like, you see structure, and, like, you, like, an explosion of ideas within this, like, contained system so now you don't have this giant forest or this giant desert but you have like this scope you've created by like forcing yourself into this starting with these really simple operations and then now you have structure which seemed impossible before and then just kind of appeared interesting
0: so you you start out with with no structure right you are purposefully um not using a note system or something like that but you can only Mm -hmm. really find progress when you impose these restrictions on yourself. Like I only, I only get these elementary operations. I only get this one second of music. What can I do with it?
1: Mm -hmm. And, um, that was my greatest epiphany when I, I've been really bad at making music for a long time. And I think the main reason was I, I, uh, I was being edgy, and I'm like, I don't want any structure, no structure, and then I wouldn't do anything, or I'd just be confused all the time. Right. Um, and I started to realize that humans need structure, and like even when you see unstructured, freeform artists, they're not unstructured and freeform; they're just rejecting a traditional structure and imposing a personal structure. But there still is this internal consistency. Um, And I think that's where all great art comes from, you know, you like people invent these internal logics and consistencies, you know, like Bach, for example, was so influential that he like, literally made the structure traditional, you know, but he was actually just imposing these, like, really, like, he loved hopping from scales, and he just got really into this note based system and, you know, kind of how it would affect your perceptual system and was hardcore manipulating it in really weird ways to try to push it to its limit you know but if you don't have a system you can't push anything to the limit you have like no metric and uh i think i think you need it you know no matter how abstract or freeform you are like even john cage who's the most free form of musicians. He wrote this piece called 433, which is, um, just four minutes and 33 seconds of silence, you know, and he uses the book of changes to like randomly generate music, you know, so he's not imposing any of his preferences on anything, you know, his like goal is to remove himself from his music. Um, he's very into Zen. If you can't tell, (laughs) um, and uh, he has many quotes everywhere. You see, I read his book, and he's like, "Structure breeds meaning." You know, you can't do it without it. And you see this guy making this like freeform, like weird as hell music, and you're like, "It's like it's always there." Like that's that's, you know. Um, so I think that's kind of a a meme I fell for while being like rebellious, where I'm like, "Oh, the alternative is either." tradition you have two choices you have traditional structure or no structure whatsoever and i saw this false dichotomy and i opted for the no structure whatsoever and i'm starting to realize it's really just a gradient it's mostly like a no no it's not no and that's my end of the discussion
0: <laughs> it's if it's not a gradient and it's not a uh no, it's dichotomy. a gradient oh, okay. it's in- <laughs>
1: I real I had another thought. I was gonna say something about a weighted average, and that, but that implies where like the higher the weight, the more like social influence it has.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: Um, but that implies like a a discreteness that I can't comprehend. But no, I could just say it's a weighted average, and they're like, well, how many options are there? I don't know, infinite probably, and then stop there. Yeah.
0: Yeah, your your weights don't necessarily have to happen in discrete space. No. Yeah, you're right. Function
1: (laughs) just sums to one. (laughs)
0: Um, what is uh the biggest lesson you've learned about yourself in recent years?
1: Um, I've learned that I'm a very anxious person, and it's infused in my personality, I think. I don't know yet. But I think I sometimes try to push back against it and be like, oh, I wish I wasn't an anxious person. But in reality, that's, I think that's what makes me do all the things I do, and that's what where I derive my meaning from. Um, so I think the biggest thing I've learned is I don't want to reject it, but I want to cope with it because I like it. So I just need to figure out how to deal with the cons that comes with being an anxious person, like anxiety attacks and stuff like that. Yeah. So that's been, that's probably one of the biggest things I've learned lately. And I've, I've slowly been trying to deal with it. Um, but I'm still not good at it, <laughs> but I've, I've become like, <laughs> I'm not like trying to crawl out of my body and you know, uh, take me to a different one has more neurotypical or something, or just like, I don't know, let me try depression for a change. Who knows? I'm like, no, I like, I like the anxious body. <laughs> it's, it's, it has a lot of pros to it. Um, but it has some cons. So I, I've learned, that's what I've learned about myself. I want to I want to I cope with it. I don't want to escape it. Because um, I think there's a lot that could be done with the current system that I am in right now, or the thing I was given. Whatever. Like headspace genetically or socially or whatever. Um, what? So confidence? Maybe? Yeah. <laughs> Perhaps? Uh, what... I don't to do anything else that... Yeah, you you go. <laughs> <laughs> um what you know
0: one of the uh, uh, I guess uh you know potential um big movements in the near future um or you know problems on the horizon, or maybe not a problem, uh, advancement I guess, is uh the potential for genetic engineering. Um you know mm-hmm. designer babies, colloquially. Um, mm-hmm. And one of the fears of going big on the designer baby front is that nobody's going to uh, want their kid to suffer from any kind of, um, you know, a difficult mental state. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think that uh, having these, you know, being anxious, having that kind of anxiety, uh, makes you a better person, um, or does it make society better as a whole to have? you know, humans in it that do, um, you know, have all sorts of different mental backgrounds like that. I don't
1: know. That's interesting because I feel if we can manipulate and like, let's, let's assume that everyone wants to, you know, remove mental illnesses. Um, I feel that path converges on like everyone being catatonic like, as a whole, like, a, a, a catatonic society, and I don't think I'd like that. No, I don't like that. <laughs> um, so, that's so, the, the genetic, oh, my gosh, I, like, I've, I've been seeing, there's actual stuff going on right now, I know, with Down syndrome, mm-hmm. where people are, want, people want to eradicate Down syndrome with CRISPR technology. And there's lashback from the Down syndrome community. Yeah. And I have, that is so confusing. You know, I, that is, oh, I don't even know how you think about that because, yeah. Cause being in, of course, if you have Down syndrome, you're, and you're living and you're, Doing the best you could. You have pride in yourself. You're like, yes, I love who I am. Right. In the exact same and it has the exact same strand of reasoning I'm using for anxiety. You know, it's it's helped me become a better person and it's helped me appreciate life. And but then what if you could stop it a priori? You know, where they wouldn't <sighs> I <laughs> pass <laughs>
0: uh, it's a uh, uh, incredibly difficult problem what do you think well uh you know given a choice as a parent uh it's hard to say you wouldn't um you know want to remove any difficulties in your future child's life um mm-hmm. But if you step back uh, at at a societal level, a lot of the strength of society comes from diversity, right? Diversity of opinion is a a huge thing. Um, Diversity of experience is going to make us much better than just the sum of, uh, you know, a thousand clones. Mm -hmm. Um, it, it's co- it, To me, it feels like a a, not a, a NIMBY problem, and not a not in my backyard problem, where each individual yeah. person's incentives are to are are to coast, um, but society as a whole is much better if nobody does that. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: and uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I guess the way you solve that in economics is you like tax people um, <laughs> to <laughs> to to do things that pollute the environment and stuff like that, but. Then you're just going to basically put a price barrier on, um, yeah. on living living an easy life, and that just seems like a far worse outcome than yeah across the, the board. So yeah, very difficult problem. I don't, I don't know what a good answer is.
1: Yeah, I like your analogy to pollution yeah. because I feel reducing even on a basic level, genetic diversity is a type of pollution. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you're killing. Yeah. No, I'm not going to say that. <laughs>
0: uh, I, there's a, um, I don't know if you've read it, Seeing like a state by James Scott, uh, but his, uh, mm-hmm. um, his favorite metaphor in the book is like in uh, at the beginning of the agriculture revolution in Germany, um, people cut down all the trees and then, like, all right, you have this plot of land. I want you to, to plant one tree every 10 feet. And then I want you to cull all the underbrush. And then you're just going to have this perfect row of trees. There's not going to be any diversity. You're just going to have this one tree over and over again. And uh, people's plots of lands just got wiped out because they didn't understand the full, uh, you know, how strong the diversity made the environment. And, and yeah. exposure to uh, the occasional <laughs> pest. Made things way stronger than uh, just setting yourself up for catastrophic failure, um, mm-hmm. and it seems like that kind of society just puts us at a really dangerous uh, place if we if we don't maintain our our diversity for the sake of diversity.
1: Yeah, yeah. Because think peanut allergies, I know, have been on the rise for the last thirty years because of parenting techniques yeah. and kind of reducing children's exposure to potentially harmful substances and CRISPRs just or genetically modifying it's just that to the extreme and that's already showing like very that like they literally have an allergy you know they can't eat that or else their throat will close and they'll they'll die Um, so if you just do that on a more radical scale, it's probably not very good at all. Okay, now I'm against it. (laughs) I'm firmly against
0: (laughs) it. So, you know, it's also something that if, uh, if we're against, um... You might just end up losing out because other people that that aren't against it or other societies that aren't against it might just, uh, you know, in a competitive environment win Um, in the short run, but not necessarily in the long run. But competition happens over the short run.
1: Yeah, exactly. Ooh, that's a good point.
0: Tough. We'll see what happens, man.
1: It's interesting.
0: Uh, Yeah. Um. I've got here oh uh over over your lifetime or you know last twenty uh years or so, what do you think have been the major uh historical developments what's gonna make it to to the history books what are the major storylines uh,
1: nine eleven a sneezy one yeah. as the fall of the u s <laughs> that's that's that triggered it turned into yeah. It's the downward slope. That's my guess. Interesting. Um, Let's see. Uh, I said I wasn't a student of history. (laughs) That also means incredibly recent history as well.
0: You're just a person in the world, man. (laughs)
1: I should watch the news more. Um,
0: I mean, it doesn't, doesn't have to be like actual events, but just like themes.
1: Yeah. The internet. Yeah. That's an obvious one. Internet's ridiculous. We'll see if there's anything new coming up. That, no, we're not talking about that.
0: That's my next question, though, is what, over the next 20, 30 years, what are the major themes that we should be looking out for?
1: Okay. We won't get there yet. Okay. Internet, uh, definitely, maybe not internet, because that's kind of before my time, is the rise of the internet, but the rise of social media was definitely my time um i think that will be in history books yeah and it won't be good i don't think mm, the nuclear uh disaster in japan oh fukushima i think that will be in it because i think that's been disastrous it, i think that and chernobyl has been a setback on uh, energy, basically energy research. And I think we're, we're, we're definitely at a, a tipping point in our energy, basically how, if we're going to make it out alive or not. And I think our, our research and our popularity of which type of energy we're going to choose, you know, what's going to be the, our main source is uh i think very important and i think that disaster will show potentially might be a chain reaction in causing some incredibly terrible things yeah potentially i don't know that much about it that was kind of the one i threw out there just to kind of be like i think about things energy yeah uh um Maybe the U.S.'s a general theme is the U.S.'s revert reverting back to tribalism. I think that's been a pretty common theme, and I think that goes with the social media. I think that's really the underlying one of the really bad things of social media that you might see in books everywhere. But it'll be that chapter will be really interesting to read because you'll see this popularity of tribalism, but then because of this, there's this prop popularity in like vocals like vocalness (laughs) vocalness vocality for like minority groups um so i think definitely social media i think is my biggest one i think that has radically altered the political and social landscape especially since the history books are usually the social stuff um because that's kind of the things that humans value the most, and that's yeah. why it's in a history book. Because most people will find it interesting, and it's not interesting if I uh, got really good at doing math or something. But like, you know, or <laughs> you know, whatever. Um, oh, COVID. Oh yeah, I guess that's an easy one. I think COVID's interesting because. The mRNA thing, I don't know anything about the medical world, but I, it seems to be a big deal that like this mRNA has seemed to spark a new kind of wave of disease uh, experimenting. Mm -hmm. Um, So that might actually trigger a net positive for the world, like might help with massive prevention of death is pretty sick um that's it all right yeah that that last point i think is
0: an interesting one i don't i don't want to downplay the the terrible immediate negative consequences of covid at all um, yeah but it kicking off uh, research and fast tracking mRNA vaccines uh, and they've already got an mrna vaccine for malaria um, yeah i saw that's, that that's like gonna all ar- <laughs> kind of that by itself is gonna outweigh all, all the deaths from COVID. Um yeah. it just it, it almost goes back to our initial point about uh adversity. There hasn't been a, lot, a whole lot of global adversity to kick kick us in the pants, mm-hmm. uh, get the act together. And you know, maybe we got lucky that COVID did have so, so you know, it's it's a big deal, it's a pandemic, but it's got a low fatality rate. Yeah. Um, and maybe that makes us aware of what you know what is possible and it helps us uh uh respond better to the next one
1: yeah cuz i totally i saw an article on the malaria stuff and i took a i took a biology or a biology of disease class
0: oh really um
1: last year which was very timely for covid yeah. it was like the the quarter before covid and i'm like ooh i know about this stuff i took a ge on it um and it's insane to me how much massive loss of life there is every single year from AIDS and malaria. It's ridiculous. And like, it's kind of sad seeing all this research come out where I'm like, oh, we could have done this. You know, like if, if it was in, if we could have benefited like as a Western society from a malaria vaccine, we would have done a lot more but a long time ago yeah we would have done a long time ago and how many people die a year from malaria like uh, mi- a million five hundred thousand i don't know it's ridiculous yeah. um so yeah i hope i am that's probably my optimistic point of covid i think hopefully they'll jump start something like that i think it's fair
0: all right, uh, what are the major themes of the next 20, 30 years, up to 2050? That's kind of our uh, our target. 2050.
1: Yeah, what's going to happen? I'm in the uh, global warming. Potentially might be the downfall of uh, civilization, yeah. as we know it, or radically alter it. But maybe like malaria, we won't do anything, because maybe all oh, the third world countries will be flooded and not affected, and the first world countries won't do anything about it until it starts affecting them. Maybe That's something like that will occur. a possibility. Um, but it will eventually catch up, you know, because you can't, no matter how much money you have, you can't combat an entire state being underwater. <laughs> you know? Like, at a certain point, like, Abs- like abstract human resources won't help you, you know, or the resources you take from the earth won't help you <laughs> against huge powers <laughs> of the earth. <laughs> um, so I think global warming will weigh on the social conscious massively for the next 50 years to 100 years, especially since I've been indoctrinated and I imagine many people in the similar age range have been indoctrinated with massive existential anxiety about it. Yeah. Like, it's just common to assume, like, just talking with friends or people, it's like, oh, yeah, we're like the last jet big generation, like, we're going to be the last ones to see into old age, perhaps, you know, and just that it might be true. Or it might be totally false and be (laughs) melodrama, but I think the fact that it's there will be definitely heavy on the mind of society. Um, So that's a big one. Let's see, I'm in the technological world, so I know more about that kind of. will we solve will we find agi in the next 50 years probably not maybe i don't know if our current paradigms work well enough but i don't know enough about the field think
0: GPT- i think gpt7 gonna do it
1: yeah gpt7 i think neuroscience well neuroscience is already a booming field but i think Brain science. I think this is going to be the century of the brain. I think I read that in oh, a yeah. book or something. I I totally agree with that. I think, especially going back to the hierarchy of needs, you know, we're we're starting to get past dealing with physical ailments, but then with the whole COVID thing, that actually makes it confusing and actually might be a Western bias. Let's say we're not getting past those needs. We're starting to get bored and get interested in brain problems. (laughs) And uh, I think that area is extremely interesting. And I think I want to see how far they could push like the computational paradigm of computers, like computers mapping or brains are computers because... Or, like, brains are Bayesian logic and all this stuff. Like, this seems to be, like, the common paradigm that is going around. And I want to see how far... I want to see the narrative arc of how we frame the brain. Um, Because then you get this whole self-reflexive meta going on. And it's it really tickles my brain. (laughs) Because I do love recursion. So, I think that'll be a really big deal, just in general. Because like it could lead to us manipulating the brain you know and that kind of gets back to the genetics oh yeah we already talked about but CRISPR technology um that's gonna be big definitely i think i think all the bio integrating technology with bio is probably gonna be the big thing in the next 50 years um if there's anything At that's least... infinitely complex, it's uh, biology. Yeah, like, there's a lot to do in that realm. And even, like, the neural link stuff. Like, when I see the monkey playing <laughs> the Pong, and, like, I read what they're doing, I'm a little measly undergraduate, and I read it, and I'm like, I kind of get what they're doing. Like, they're just, they're doing incredibly primitive things. Like, they're just sticking wires in the brain and then kind of pattern matching. There's no semantic understanding. They're just pattern matching the signals and seeing correlations. And then they, like, write functions. When this little pattern happens, have this happen. Um, And it's mostly, like, cleaning the noise and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, you're sticking wires into the brain and just kind of looking at the topology of the output, you know, rather than the actual, like, causation of it, but it's completely new, like, it's hella weird, like, you're like, this is weird, and there's, like, so much potential in it, so, like, we're, like, that shows we're at the tip, like, we're at the, like, we're at the giant computers in, like, you know, in, like, a warehouse tip, you know, we're like in the vacuum tube tip. We're in the moths getting stuck tip. Um, so that's very exciting. Um,
0: Do you think it's just pattern matching all the way down?
1: It honestly might. I, I've been reading Metaphors We Live By, which is a wonderful book. Oh. I highly recommend it. Um, and it's It goes through it's basically get, puts a really microscope to language and proposes that we understand reality through metaphors um anyways, I was reading a section last night, and it was showing examples of how the the syntax of like your statement like we we like to use the dichotomy you have the syntax and you have the semantics. Mm-hmm. Right, and the if you're just looking at the syntax, you're just pattern matching. You know, you're just seeing the form of it, but you don't. You're not getting the, the meat, the juice of it. Um, but the book shows a bunch of different examples of where, like, the syntax is wrapped up in the semantics. You know, like there's this metaphor of cause and effect, and they were kind of showing how when you have like. A sentence where the co- the cause noun and the effect noun or verb or whatever, if they're if those two semantic objects are like close to each other syntactically, like there's a stronger form of cause and effect, like when we talk about it. Oh, like really? an example is, um, it's really intu- it sounds weird, but it's really intuitive when we say it. Like I killed Jacob, right? The cause and effect term is wrapped up into killed it says what the cause is me and the effect like you're dead like it's all right ra- like spatially it's like right next to each other right but then like i brought about the death of uh jacob right there's like literally physical space between the cause like me and like bringing about yeah. and that like syntactical room that you created carries like semantic meaning to you you know it brings this grayness in and it like brings real semantics into it um so that's kind of related to pattern matching but it's we have pattern matching and semantics. I I guess I'm not saying I don't know if his patterns all the way down, but I'm showing that like that dichotomy might not be a dichotomy.
0: Yeah, interesting. I uh, I'll have to read that book. It sounds great.
1: It's it's really good. it's it is the most mind expanding book I've read. Like and usually when you hear the word mind expanding, it's like a philosophy book that's talking about like metaphysics. You know, it's yeah. like talking about the existence of God. But, like, that has nothing to do with your life. Metaphors we live by is, like, talking about language. And it uses, like, everyday languages as examples. So you start, like, looking at everything weird. You know, everything someone says, you're like, what the hell is going on? Um, Really interesting.
0: Uh, Do you have um, any other profound influences in your life? They could be other books or people, movements, philosophies, Mm
1: -hmm. movies. My partner, Marissa, is definitely one of the most influential people in my life. I think yeah. the most influential people in my life are definitely the people I live with, which I guess is intuitive. Um,
0: eh, not always.
1: Yeah, that, yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, because, I don't know, I think with like, when you're with people intimately, you start to form your own logics and, like, realities and worlds, Mm. and I've become enamored with that by, like, being with someone for so long, because we've been dating since high school, (laughs) um, and I think I've, I've become really influenced by, it is, like, the whole infinitely complex theme, where it's, like, you could, like, be with one person forever, and you could find all these new... Like, you can you can not be bored forever, even though it's just one person. Like, there's all these, like, complexities and, like, weird little nuances and games and ideas that, like, arise when you're, like, with someone for so long. Um, like, <laughs> we were walking yesterday along the beach, and we invented a new phrase called... <laughs> Involving the words "doink" and "bonk," where, <laughs> where, um, what happened? It happened a couple weeks ago. Is we were walking along the beach again, and I, as I was walking, I accidentally hit a bee. Um, like just walking, I hit a bee with my water bottle. I think I was swinging my water bottle, and I hit the bee. And I said, "What did I say?" I said, "I I doinked the bee." But the bee was bonked. <laughs> Which is, is kind of like the case of, like, from my perspective, it's just a little tap. But to the bee, you know, it flew off his whole own world. And yesterday, we, we started thinking about this really hard. And we, uh, like, invented... Uh, we called it the concept to encapsulate that experience. We called it... Uh, giant's touch is the (laughs) phrase because you know it's like you have the iron giant where like he thinks he's just like playing with something but he's actually like destroying it and like shredding it to pieces you know because he's at a different scale um so that's just like a little example you know you have all these like weird little sub-languages that you (laughs) invent with each other and i think it's really beautiful and i think like to me that's what art is or that's what like meaning is like that's where i derive meaning from like i would say the second influential person is my friend michael say who is obsessed with that type of stuff he's like an art student at ucla he's in the digital media arts oh cool Mm -hmm. and he's like obsessed with stuff like that he's really cool i love him wow that's awesome
0: it sounds like a great uh metaphor (laughs) <laughs> Send it to the book um, alright we've got like five minutes here and I got somebody lined up at one o'clock but we got like a couple more questions so we gotta go uh, rapid fire through these last ones um, do you have a proudest accomplishment in your life
1: proudest accomplishment proudest accomplishment Um, probably my proudest honestly my I was going to say, I wrote a synthesizer and, like, finished a software project and released it open source, and, like, people use it a lot, but (laughs) that's not my biggest... My biggest one is, honestly, like, when I've played music shows, like, in a garage with, like, all my friends in Isla Vista, and I had, like, 40 or 50 people, and I played with my friend Alex, and we, like made like a dozen people cry and we were making like abstract electronic music and that is probably my proudest accomplishment like for realsies yeah that
0: that, that's incredible i can't even imagine that
1: (laughs) yes like that's my goal like that's what i want to do because that's like my goal is to communicate i like communicating on a technical level and like on an abstract level which is what software does like it it gives them a system that communicates them well how to, like, work within the system to help them. But I, what I really like in my heart of hearts is, like, communicating on an emotional level. Um, so, yes, the latter one. Do you have a uh, happiest memory
0: or time in your life?
1: Happiest memory? Probably... One of the many runs I've done, I've gone into running in the last two years.
0: Really? And I,
1: yeah, I love running. And wow. it's definitely when I'm the most happy, especially running in Santa Barbara. Like along the beach, is the sun's setting, it's really beautiful. And, you know, I'm just running. I don't have any headphones or anything. I just feel so free. And that's probably when I'm most happy.
0: Wow. It uh, was a bit unexpected, I like it.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh
0: what does love mean to you? And what role does it play in your life?
1: <sighs> I don't use the word love. No. As a preface. Yeah. I'd have I've never I've always had an aversion to it. I don't know why. I think. I don't know.
0: Do you use a different word
1: in its place? No. I think I think I do it's cheesy but I I tr- I try to act it. You know, I don't like to talk it especially with like uh romantic partners. A lot of the times I feel um love like the word love could be used as a band-aid almost or like a way to like fix the situation without fixing it um but I don't use the word love so I can't actually say anything on that I take that back I don't know why I don't use it I have no rational reason for it there's probably some you could probably psychoanalyze me to figure that out (laughs) um I don't want to figure it out um but I think it plays a really important part in my life like that like traditionally what that concept means because I, I think I do, I, I try to do things that I love and I try to do it for loving reasons, etc. And I think that's why I try to make that my main motivation. Um, and sometimes it gets interwined with like anxiety and stuff and just doing it. Cause like, I feel like I need to, mm-hmm. but like love is a way for me to like, take a step back and be like, it's not just like this bodily reflex you know like you i think of love as something conscious you know rather than like so it's kind of the like self-reflective joy i want to experience out of the things i do all right that doesn't make any sense
0: but it does. Or a guy that doesn't use the word love, he got a pretty good definition of it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, last one here for you, Jack. What is mm-hmm. the meaning of life? What's it all about? Why are we here?
1: Um, I think the meaning of life is... We're social beings. So the meaning of life is to communicate. That's what I think. I think the meaning of life is language. Don't know what kind of language. Doesn't really matter what kind of language. But the meaning of life is to be heard by someone and them to give you feedback on what they heard. I think that's my meaning of life.
0: Well, my feedback for you is that it's been a real uh, real pleasure here, Jack. Uh, thank you so much for taking all this time. Um, and, it, yeah. It, it, I'm so glad I got the chance to to talk with you.
1: Perfect, thank you. I'm glad uh, my mom told me to look at my (laughs) message.